Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are here with us this morning, and then to those of you uh, watching online as well who want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Thank you for the job that you've done. As Barry mentioned, his mom's watching from the East Coast, and my mom is as well, so the East Coast lifestyle is represented well this morning. Thank you to the tech team for making live stream possible each and every week. And so as we begin this morning, I do just want to take a minute to say a special Mother's Day greeting to the three moms uh, that have played the biggest part in my life. Uh, First of all, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Thank you for your love, your patience, um, and just your godly influence in my life. It has meant so much to me over the years. To Amanda's mom, Jackie, uh, I just want to thank you for raising such a fine daughter and for welcoming welcoming me into the family. Uh, We miss seeing you guys lots. And then finally to Amanda, thank you for all the love and devotion that you show to our boys and also for the amazing way that you keep the three of us organized on the day-to-day. I love you lots, babe, and hope you have a great shift at work today. Let's pray together, and then we'll start a new sermon series. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. I just want to thank you for the privilege that we have of, of listening to your voice, listening to the things that you say about us. Father, Lord, we have an enemy, we have a foe who would like to like us to listen to lies, like us to listen to things that are not true, but we can listen to your voice, listen to what you say, and know that we are held in your hand. So, Father, today, as we look into your word, I just pray that you would just help us to grow in understanding, and, Lord, even a deeper deeper appreciation of you. Just thank you in your name. Amen. So I've played on a number of different sports teams in my life, and and I've I've had the experience of, of sort of being initiated or hazed in some way or another, in high school, uh, they made me shave my head, which I guess I never really did get over, all right? And then in university, had to carry the ball bags, all of those different things for, for the, you know, the guys that were older and had more experience on the team. But I've never really been hazed or initiated in church until today. And Doug and Gord, I'm not sure who, decided that we would do a series on Satan. And Doug and Gore decided, hey, we got a new guy. Let's give him the first topic on Satan on Mother's Day and see how he does. And so I feel that maybe this is a little bit of initiation, a little bit of hazing on their part. Uh, But it is a very, very interesting study. And I think a very, very important issue uh, that we study together. Um, And so if the series Know Your Foe, And the title of today's message is that we have an adversary. If that brings up images of your mom or your mother-in-law, please don't hold us responsible. That was not our intention at all. Um, That's something you have to deal with. So we are going to begin a sermon series on on the devil or Satan this morning. And over the years, uh, Satan, I think, is probably one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented characters in all of the Bible. He's been depicted in various ways in culture. 
Um, he's been depicted as an ugly, half-human, half-animal creature. And more recently, if you're watching the next Netflix series Lucifer, he's an attractive nightclub owner. So he's been portrayed in many, many different ways. There's also been a lot of comedic picture, uh, portrayals of Satan over the years. According to one article that I was reading uh, this week in medieval times in mystery plays, Satan was always depicted as an individual, and, and this is just a quote from the article, who farted and fell over. That was, there was their opinion of, of who Satan was and, and the power that he had. And more recently, and, and probably not as recently as I would think, but Saturday Night Live had a series with Dana Carvey on it called a Church Chat. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that series. If you have, all right. I had to brush up on the, on the a little this week, so I watched a couple of the sketches. And, and in this series, Dana Carvey was, was known as the church lady, and he would interview people who had inevitably done something wrong, fallen into some sort of sin. And throughout the interview and throughout the conversation, he would, he would often get to the point and say, now who could have led you to do something like that? Who would have, who would have kind of tempted you to do that? And then his inevitable line was, could it be, oh, I don't know, Satan. And it was always as a mockery, always as, as making fun. Now, good comedy in there, I, I will admit that. But we also have to understand that Satan has always been, or often been, misre misrepresented throughout uh, culture. So uh, amid the comedy, the beastly portrayals, or the deceptively handsome characters, there is a misrepresentation, misrepresentation of who Satan is. Truly, what we want to understand today and in this, these coming weeks, that Satan is not a joke. He's not to be taken lightly. He has enslaved the unbelieving world and constantly orchestrates individual and corporate attacks against those of us who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. I want to look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 10 with you. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, we're going to hop all over the place this morning, but starting Revelation chapter 12 uh, at the beginning, just want to read this passage with you. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who, who accuses them day and night before our God. This is a fantastic passage of Scripture. I don't know about you, but just that whole idea, the whole fact of, of angels and demons warring it out in, in heaven is just, is just a, a, a scene that, that I kind of imagine and, and play over in my mind as to what that would look like. But really what I want to look with you today is not necessarily that battle, but, but how Satan is, is sort of defined and what his role is or what he does here in verse 10. We see here that he is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. And then it's pointed out that he is the one who accuses believers 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year before God, constantly bringing accusations before him, hoping in some way maybe to derail our salvation, hoping in some way to defeat God's plan. I'm not really sure his, his mindset, but, but he is constantly accusing us. We're going to look a little bit later, too, that, that he's not really lying about us. He's just bringing our own sinful acts before God and, and, and accusing us of these and trying to, to find some unrighteousness in us. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. So he is our foe. He's not for us. 
He is against us, constantly accusing us. Following him has destroyed many people. As believers, we need to be aware that he does have the ability to destroy our testimony. However, we need to also be aware that he can never destroy our right standing with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. If we've placed our faith and trust in him, we are secure, and Satan can never overcome us. So as we begin to know our foe, I'm going to ask you if you're at home, grab a piece of paper and a pen. I've asked Gord and Avery, they're going to pass out a test for you this morning. Because our, our theme is know your foe, and I thought it would be interesting to, um, to take a little quiz this morning. And so there's going to be 10 multiple choice questions. So those of you watching at home, just grab a piece of paper, number it 1 through 10, and you'll be able to write your answers in. And we're going to see how well that you know your foe, perhaps... You may even want to post your score on uh, hashtag FBC Lloyd at, on Instagram, not to brag, but like, you know, just to say, hey, I know my foe really well, or I didn't know him so well, and we'll just see how well you did. Um, you guys can take that however you would like to. And so if you need a pen, just also stick up your hand. The guys will have a pen there for you as well. And again, this is just a quick... Um, introduction to who Satan is. We're going to cover the answers to many of these questions throughout the message this morning, but I just thought rather than just going through it in an academic, you know, um, lecture, I thought it would be more fun to do a little quiz to see how we're doing. So we're going to, we're going to bring the questions up on the screen uh, one at a time. First question there is, when was Satan created? Was he created before the foundation of the world, after Adam and Eve, before the chicken or the egg, or between days three and four of creation. So when was Satan created? We're going to do all ten questions, then we'll go over the answers. So mark your answer quickly. All right. No pressure, just be fast. All right. Number two, which type of angel was Satan? Was he a seraphim, archangel, cherubim, or chief princes? Which type of angel was he? Number three, how many angels are believed to have followed after Satan? Was it one quarter of the angels, a third of the angels, half of the angels, or two-thirds? One quarter, one-third, one-half, or two-thirds? Number four, which book of the Bible first mentions Satan by name? Which book of the Bible first mentions Satan by name? Genesis, Job, Isaiah, or Ezekiel? Number five. Satan means red, evil, adversary, or accuser. Number six. The devil means slanderer, manipulator, conjurer, or liar. Number seven, how many I will statements are found in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14? How many I will statements are found in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14? Two, seven, five, or three? What title did Satan possess in Ezekiel 28, 14? It's 
number eight. What title did Satan possess in Ezekiel 28, 14? Guardian of glory, archangel of wisdom, bright and shining one, or the anointed guardian cherub? Number nine, which of these titles are not used of Satan in the Bible? Ruler of this world, God of this age, beast of the north, prince of the power of the air. Which of these titles is not used of Satan? Which chapter of the book of Revelation describes Satan's fate? Is that Revelation 19, 20, 21, or 22? All right. Now, let's see how well we did. So we'll go back to question number one. And that is, when was Satan created? A, B, C, or D? The correct answer is A, before the foundation of the world. At that in just a few minutes. Number two, which type of angel was Satan? Was he seraphim, archangel, cherubim, or chief princess? The correct answer is C, cherubim. Feel free to yell these out too. That's a little bit more fun when we're interactive. You can tell I was a children's pastor for a long time. Number three, how many angels are believed to have followed after Satan? A quarter, a third, one half, two thirds. Anybody? One third, all right. C, one third, correct. All right, very good. Number four, which book of the Bible first mentions Satan by name? Genesis, Job, Ezekiel, Isaiah, or Ezekiel? Let's see, so we've got Job, Job, very good. Number five, Satan means red, evil, adversary, or accuser. Let's see, the answer is adversary. All right, here's our adversary. Number six, the devil means slanderer, manipulator, conjurer, or liar. Guesses out there? These ones are a little trickier. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll see the answer is slander. All right. Number seven. How many I will statements are found in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14? Two, seven, five, or three? Any guesses? Five is the answer. C. All right. I forgot to put the answers on my notes, so I'm sometimes a little nervous up here. Eight. Which title did Satan possess in Ezekiel 28, 14? Guardian of glory, archangel of wisdom, bright shining one, or anointed guardian cherub? D is the correct answer, anointed guardian cherub. Number nine, which of these titles is not used of Satan in the Bible? Ruler of the world, god of this age, beast of the north, prince of the power of the air. A, B, C, or D? C, I heard C, C is correct. Number 10, which chapter, of the Bible, uh, which chapter of the book of Revelation describes Satan's fate? 19, 20, 21, or 22? B is 20, all right. So there you go. There's a quick quiz just to see how well you know your foe. Um, we're going to answer these questions in a little bit more detail throughout the morning for, for, the, for the most part. Um, I, it's one of those things. How well do you want to know Satan? You know, uh, so did you get 10 out of 10? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, but knowing our foe is super important for living the life that God has called us to as believers and also being aware of the influence and the power that he has around in the entire world. So today what we want to do is, number one, we want to look at where did Satan come from? What is he like or what was he like and how did he change? And then what does Satan do now? So we're going to kind of just truck through those answers as quick as we can. So let's look, we'll begin with that first question, where did Satan come from? So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28 together. So if you want to turn there, Ezekiel chapter 28 says this, 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed cherub, guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So as we look at that passage of Scripture, there is much debate um, really among scholars as to whether this passage is referring to, uh, to Satan or if it's referring to an earthly king. And as I studied that out this week, um, there's a principle of Scripture uh, in hermeneutics, interpreting Scripture, uh, that is known as the law of double reference. And simply put, a single passage can be applying primarily to a person or event near at hand can also have another person in mind. And this happens a number of times throughout Scripture. So it can be talk, describing an immediate person, but also be referring to someone else maybe in the future or in, again, the spiritual realm as opposed to the earthly realm. So an example of that, if you see in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And that in immediate context, we see here that, that the prophet is, is referring back to Israel being delivered out of Egypt from the slavery that they experienced. But then if you flip to Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, we see that the writer Matthew applies that also uh, to Christ. Out of Egypt I called my son um, is, is a reference there to Jesus as he and Mary and Joseph had headed to Egypt and then came back. And the principle of double reference would state that Israel was a son nationally, but the greater son was Christ. And so it's not abnormal in, in Scripture to see these double references, something in the immediate and then as well referring to somebody again in the spiritual realm or somebody yet future. And so this passage is describing an earthly king of Tyre, but it also describes for us uh, the devil or Satan as we have come to know him. And we can see that a number of these things in Ezekiel really just can't apply to a normal human being as you, as you read through them. So let's take a look at some of the information that we have on Satan's origin and his original state. If we see in 28, Ezekiel 28, 13, we see that Satan is a created being. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. And here, it is a direct reference to the fact that God created Satan. And the thing that we have to understand is Satan is not a self-existent eternal being. He owes his very existence to God. See, there's a line of thinking out there that kind of has God and Satan duking it out for all of time and just seeing who's going to win, who's going to actually win this battle. And, and really, we, we many times pair them as almost equals, if not equals. And we just want to see who's going to win this battle of good and evil. But the reality is, 
is that Satan is a created being. He owes his very existence to God. He would not exist if God had not brought him into being. And he is created. He, like all the angels, came into being as a result of God's created work. Colossians chapter 1 shows us this. It says this, For by him, for by God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So as we consider our foe, as we consider the reality that Satan is a foe that we have to be aware of, we also have to understand that he is a foe who owes his very existence to God and that is, is, is really subject to God's authority. It's not somebody that is going to sneak in and win the battle against God in some time future. We never have to fear that. Satan is a created being. He owes his existence to God. So when were the angels created? So not just Satan, but when were the angels created? This has been sort of debated, and I think if we look at, at the book of Job, it gives us a little bit of an answer. And here in this passage, Job chapter 38, there, there's, this, there's this fantastic dialogue between God and Job, and actually it's more of a, an inquisition by God. Job has gone through all of his trials, and he's sort of lamented even the day that he was born, and, and then God says, okay, you've, you've said your piece, now, now let me address you. And just, if you have time this week, I would encourage you just to read these list of questions that, that God asks of Job. But here at the very beginning, um, God says this to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? So here in this passage, God is questioning Job, and he's saying, hey, were you around when I created the world? Were you, were you around when I set everything in place? Were you around when these angels rejoiced at my creative work? And so as we think about the angels, and we think about when Satan was, was created, when he was brought into being, we can't really pick a particular dot in eternity past when that happened. But we know that before God created the world, based on this passage, we can understand that God created the, the hosts of, of angels. And so Satan would have been included in that, creative, in that creative act of God. And so Satan's not self-existent. He's not all-powerful. He owes his existence to God. Every ounce of power that he has was given to him by, by God. And so we need to understand that. But what does that really help us? How does that help us practically? So he's created and he owes existence to God. I think the thing that we need to remember in 1 John chapter 4, 4, I think it sums things up pretty nicely. It says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Folks, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, we always have access to the one who Satan is subject to. He's a legitimate foe, but we have a Savior who's the ultimate victor. So as we know our foe, as we get to know him, we understand that he is powerful, that he is, he is a, a legitimate created being, but he is not more powerful than the God that we serve, and he's not more powerful than the God that we have placed our faith and trust in if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. So the next question, I guess, is what was he like and, and how did he change? Did, was Satan created with an evil nature? And so the answer to that really simply is no. So let's take a look in Ezekiel. It'll help us to understand that just a little bit more. Ezekiel 28, 12, it says this, Son of man, 
raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Right? This doesn't describe a, 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 a broken character. This doesn't describe a, an evil character. In fact, it, it presents somebody who, you know, the signet of perfection. Before we even address that, take a look at the, the way that this begins. Son of man, raise a lamentation. A lamentation is a mourning song in either a written or vocal form to express grief and sorrow. I find it interesting here as, as God de- describes Satan, as he describes who he is as, as, an, as a, a created being, and, and then he's redressing the fall of Satan here. The first thing that he says is, is raise a lamentation. This is a mourning song. This is a sad song. God is just. He is going to deal with Satan to the full extent of his sin, and he's going to punish him eternally. There's no question. But even as he introduces this character, this, this, this uh, anointed angel, this one who fell from him, he begins by saying, you know what? This is a sad moment. This is a sad moment in, the, in, in this, I guess, in this history where this created angel that, that I made, who f- he fell and he, he led so many into captivity. So he raises a lamentation for Satan. And, and the first thing that we see here as well is that he is the pinnacle of creation. God says you were the signet of perfection. That signet ring was that, that ring that the king wore, and you know, he, would, he would seal things that were complete, that were done, to say, yes, this is, this is how I wanted things. This is complete and done. And he would put that signet into the wax, and, and that, that seal was, was to say, hey, this is truly from the king. And God says, hey, Satan, you were, you were the best of my work. You were the top of my creation. You were that, that signet of perfection. Not only that, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Again, the pinnacle of God's creation. He was second in command to God, wise and and beautiful and and all of these things. And we get to get the picture of him and depict Satan, the depictions of Satan in the past that present him a grotesque are very misleading. I think that quite often it's hard for our minds to reconcile the fact that something so beautiful, something so wise could produce such evil. So therefore, we want to depict him as something that's evil and ugly. And yet God says, you know what? When I created you, you were that signet of perfection. You were, you were full of wisdom and, and beauty. Not only was he wise and beautiful, but he also had unparalleled access to the presence of God. Ezekiel 28, 14 says, you are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You are on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walk. And again, as we saw earlier in that little quiz, Satan was a member of a class of angels known as the cherubim. Lewis Ferry Schaefer notes this, this group of angels is related to the throne of God as protectors and defenders of his holiness. So Satan is this this anointed guardian cherub. He has has, um, unique access to the very presence of God. He was really one of the angels. He was in charge of all of the other angels. The two phrases listed here indicate that Satan's primary place of residence was the very presence of God. The mountain of God is often used to describe God's seat of authority. And although there's some debate about what the stones of fire mean, many scholars agree that it indicates an unparalleled closeness to God's manifest presence. Again, to quote Schaefer, the stones of fire may be the manifestation of that consuming fire which Jehovah is. 
In such a case, this declaration would suggest that the first estate of this angel was one in which he walked in unbroken relation to divine holiness. This doesn't sound like much of a foe, does it? Somebody walking in unbroken relationship to divine holiness. That's, that's what we strive for as believers in Jesus Christ. That's what we long for, as unbroken fellowship with God. And that's what, that's what Satan had. But something went wrong. We see in Ezekiel 28, 15, it says this, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. This is quite a contrast, isn't it? First, it says, hey, you were blameless, and then suddenly you were not. Have you ever been going along in life when everything is going really, really well, and then things just fall apart? Has that ever happened? I thought about that as a week as I was preparing, and I thought of this one particular example, and despite the fact that it's Mother's Day, I'm going to share it, because um, it doesn't really give you a great picture of my mom's deep love and care and compassion that she showed me over the years, but it just gives me this, this perfect illustration of how things were going really well and then things weren't. So mom, I'm sorry, but I just had to use this one this morning. So when I was about eight or nine years old, sometime in elementary school, I was out riding my bike. I love to ride my bike, still love riding my bike to this day. Um, and we lived on a little S-shaped street and our house was up here, sort of on the top corner. And I was down on the bottom part of the S and came up to a T intersection. And so I was just riding my bike, having a great time. And I decided, hey, I'm gonna pull a wheelie. So I popped a wheelie. And I'm like, yeah, life is just, this is good. I'm, I'm loving it. And then just when I pulled the wheelie, unbeknownst to me, the, the wheel and the front forks, like the whole thing fell off my bike. And so as I went to set the wheelie down, still being unaware that the wheel had come unattached, I, first thing that hit the ground was like the handlebar stem and then my chin. All right. So cracked my chin and I'm kind of laying there a little dazed and I see my wheel rolling down the street across the T-intersection. I kind of laughed to myself. Well, that's interesting. So I stood up, and I left my bike there for some reason. And then I started to walk towards home. And, and when I did, I just kind of, I guess I'd swung my hand under my chin or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, I felt something warm hit my chin. And, and looked down, and the hand is now covered in blood. And at that moment, every ounce of toughness left my body. And I started to cry. I mean, loud cry. It was an ugly cry. My mom said she heard me before she saw me, made my way up to the side of the house, and I opened the door to come into the kitchen and to tell mom, look, I'm bleeding, I'm bloody, you know, and I opened the door, and the first thing that mom says to me is, don't come in, I just mopped the floor, right? And so, mom, I'm sorry, that, make, that illustration makes me laugh every time I think about it, because in no way does it show your love, your compassion to me that you showed over the years but it just it makes me smile, and I love you very much. But going back to the point of this illustration, when I was riding my bike, everything was going fine. Everything was good, and then it fell apart, and everything was bad. I ended up with five stitches and three cracked teeth and whoever knows what else, but um, it, was, it was going well, and then it wasn't. And here in Ezekiel 28, we see this, this passage of Scripture. It says, Satan, you were blameless in your ways. But then something, came, something happened. The wheels really came off because unrighteousness was found in you. The being who was created to guard and protect God's holiness chose instead to rebel against God and as a result became an adversary to God and to all who love him. 
So how did this happen? Let's look really quickly at Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah 14, uh, 12 through 15. It says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. There are five I will statements that Satan makes here, and we're just going to go through them very quickly. I will ascend to heaven. As we have seen, Satan had access to heaven. He was welcome there, but that wasn't enough for him. He didn't simply want permission to be there. He wanted to be there on his own rights and authority. Above the stars of God, I will set my thrones on high. And again, Satan had authority over all of the angels. But God was still the ultimate authority. Satan was not interested in directing the angels to worship and serve God. Satan wanted angels to worship and to serve him. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. And this is really an attack on Jesus, the Messiah's, future reign. In Psalm 48, 1 and 2, it says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Again, referring to the future reign of Messiah, um, Satan says, look, I want that. I want that rule. I want that authority that he has or will have. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And again, in various passages of Scripture, the clouds are used to describe the presence and the glory of God. Satan wanted all that belonged to God. He wanted the glory that belonged to him as well. And then I will make myself like the Most High. In summary, Satan wanted to be God. Schaefer sums this up really nicely when he states this, the ambition is not to be like Jehovah the self-existent one, which no being ever could be, but to be like the Most High, which title signifies the possessor of heaven and earth. Satan's purpose, then, is to gain authority over heaven and earth. So what happened to Satan? He changed from being a willing guardian of God's glory and authority to wanting to possess that glory and authority for himself. He rebelled by allowing pride rather than submission to rule in his heart. So what's he up to now? When Satan rebelled, uh, he received immediate judgment from God. He was removed from that position of authority in heaven, and he was condemned to spend an eternity separated from God. That removal from holy authority was immediate, but the fulfillment of Satan's final destiny will be carried out at a point yet future. So now, what's he up to? He's trying to fulfill his dream. He's trying to fulfill that, that, that ability to rule and to reign over all that is God's. When Satan fell, a number of angels fell after him. And again, Revelation chapter 12 mentions a third of the angels were cast down to the earth. Most people are in agreement that that is the, the, the amount of angels that number, even though angels are too many to number. But a third of them fell after Satan. Most people agree with that. Some would still debate and say that's a, that, that falling out is, is yet future. Um, but I would tend to hold that a third of the angels followed after Satan in his rebellion. So now he is really going about earth trying to, to wreak havoc on God's people and, and to destroy the lives of, of people who would, who would otherwise receive God's forgiveness and grace. Matthew 25, 40, uh, yeah, Matthew 25, 41 says this, describing a future judgment. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
And in Matthew 12, 24 to 26, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So again, in these two passages, just showing that now, currently, Satan is in charge of this army of fallen angels or demons, and, and really just going about the earth wreaking havoc on, on individual lives and, and trying to destroy all that, that God has set in place. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 also brings out an interesting reference to Satan as the god of this world. I don't know about you, but that, that title has often made me uncomfortable. How could, how could Satan be the god of this world? And there's a great quote from uh, gutquestions.org. I don't know if you use that website, but it's, it's a great site for, for many questions on spiritual nature. It says this, The phrase God of this world or God of this age indicates that Satan is the major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes, and views of the majority of the people. His influence also encompasses the world's philosophies, education, and commerce. The thoughts, ideas, speculations, and false religions of the world are under his control, and have sprung up from his lies and deception. This is not to say that he rules the world completely. God is still sovereign. But it does mean that God, in his infinite wisdom, has allowed Satan to operate in this world within the boundaries that God has set for him. So as, that, as Christians, does that mean that while we're here on earth, that we are bound under the rule of Satan? Absolutely not. Colossians chapter 1 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So as believers, as we live in this world, are we influenced by Satan and the kingdom that he has in this world? Absolutely. We can't go through a day without being, being influenced by things that are, that are against God and opposed to, to the holiness of God. But as believers, we have to also understand that we have been transferred out of that kingdom and placed into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to serve Satan. We have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can serve God in true righteousness and holiness. In the coming weeks, we are going to look at, at a number of different ways that Satan continues to oppose us and to those that follow after Jesus. And, and we're going to see not only the way that he opposes us, but also some of the ways that we can combat against his schemes. Last passage of scripture that I want to, to look at you uh, this morning, it says this, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of, our, accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. At the very beginning, we read this passage and we saw that Satan constantly accuses us before God. And again, we talked about the fact that, that he brings our sin before God. Satan doesn't have to make up any content to accuse us. He just has to take our daily lives and bring that before God and say, you know what, that doesn't line up with your holiness, does it? That doesn't line up with, with what you expect of people who follow you. That really means that this person should be condemned. And that's what Satan does over and over and over again. But folks, in 1 John chapter 2, we see this. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
as Satan, our adversary, comes against us. He uses the, the very um, facts of our lives to accuse us before God and to say, this person does not deserve to be called your child. And then our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, stands before God and says, what he's saying is true. They did commit that. They did commit that sin, but I have borne the penalty for that sin. This individual no longer deserves your condemnation because I took the condemnation that their sin deserves. So we have an adversary, we have our, an accuser, but we have an even better advocate, one who has paid the price for our sin, who has dealt fully with our condemnation, and one who, when we place our faith and trust in him, places us into the hand of the Father, which we can never be removed from. And so yes, we do have that accuser, but we will never be outdone or separated from the love of the Father. So today we've seen Satan's origin, we've seen what he is like and how he changed, and also what he is up to now. As we close this morning's service, we're going to close with our service of communion. This is a time of remembrance and also a time of celebration. Because remembering what Jesus Christ did for us in his death on the cross. We're remembering the fact that Jesus has defeated our foe. That he has defeated the evil one. And so today as, as we take the, the, the bread and the, and the cup and we just think about it, I would just like to challenge you with this, with this passage of scripture. Psalms 139, 23 and 24, it says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, as we take communion, it is, it's a time of reflection. It's a time of remembrance of what Christ has done for us. But it's also a, a public statement of saying, yes, I'm walking in fellowship with God. I'm walking in obedience with him. And so as you take the bread, the wafer, and you eat it, and you thank God for his broken body, for the things that he did for you, endured for you on the cross. Also say, God, is my life lining up with what you've called me to? If it's not, just take a minute. We're just going to have a minute of quiet reflection for you just to pray, ask God to search you, to confess any sin, and then we'll eat of the bread together. So let's just take a moment of quiet reflection. said to eat this in remembrance of him. And as you think about the, the cup this morning, the cup represents the shed blood of Jesus. And I want to steer your attention back to Revelation chapter 12. It says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. This is the verse I want you to think about as we think about the shed blood of Jesus. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Our enemy has been conquered. Our enemy was conquered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for us. So as you take the cup this morning, you know, um, times of introspection and times of asking God to examine us are sometimes painful. Sometimes
Sometimes he nudges us in areas we don't want to be nudged. But then as we take the, the, the cup that represents that shed blood of Jesus, we just want to thank him for the victory that he has had and the willingness that he displayed by shedding his blood for us. So do this in remembrance of him.